Good afternoon. You are listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I'm Justin Vaughn, and I'm here with Jen Schneider and Corey Cook. We're all from the School of Public Service at Boise State University and are the co-hosts of the show, The Big Tent. Later today, we're going to have uh, a guest from the Idaho Statesman, uh, Community Engagement Editor Bill Manny. He's going to be on with us as we talk about civility uh, and politics, information, uh, how we interact with one another and in and, and the kind of uh, uh, civic realm. Um, we're doing a big event at Boise State next week related to this, which is one of the reasons why we decided to pick this topic. Uh, and um, uh, Jen and Corey are both appearing on one of the panels that we'll have that afternoon. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of civility and how it intersects with um, the demands for free speech. Uh, in a moment, um, but to give you a better idea of what of th- what this event entails, it's uh, it's next Wednesday, all day long, at Boise State, March fourteenth. Um, it's an event sponsored by Boise State University, but also the, the Statesman, Idaho Public Television, the Idaho Humanities Council, and um, we'll have speakers throughout and panels throughout the day. Uh, a screening of a film um, recently produced by Public Television in the evening, uh, and a panel over lunch. Um, that's a partner, a partnership with the City Club of Boise that we'll talk more about when we when we have Bill on here later this afternoon. Um, but we'll we'll wrap up the daytime programming with this panel called "Reconciling Demands for Free Speech and Civility." And as I mentioned, both Jen and Corey are on that, uh, and both of them had some pretty interesting things to say about the topic of free speech and civility. Well, I, as I was thinking about coming in today and and what we we're going to discuss, it. It occurred to me that I sort of kept get, getting confused in my own mind about what we mean by civility, and I think that's because we actually disagree about what civility is. It's maybe especially in this hyperpartisan, polarized, hyper-mediated moment. Um, but you know, I think as a professor at a university, I, I totally want there to be more civility, right? I want people to be able to have good arguments and. Um, to talk to one another respectfully and to have their minds expanded and to be able to handle arguments they don't agree with. And at the same time, um, I feel like history tells us that there are moments where uh, civility doesn't serve certain groups. And in fact, being uncivil was the only way that things got done. So, you know, I think the most obvious example is the civil rights movement. I mean, we've we've sort of, um, I don't know, neutered the story or the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., but at the time, he, he was a very controversial, even hated figure by a lot of mainstream Americans and um, who certainly didn't believe that he was being particularly civil, right? And so um, when I think about civility, I, I guess I think about it from those multiple viewpoints or multiple dimensions. Yeah, I think Jen started by talking about the particularly polarized climate that we're in. Um, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating is uh, research shows that uh, attitudes towards faculty vary by party now in a way that 20 years ago didn't. That, that, that campuses, college campuses, have become these politically contested spaces. And that, you know, creates a particularly interesting environment. On the one hand, we are a learning environment, right? Our responsibility is to our students, and that they have an opportunity actually to assess information and take it in and, and be able to um, you know, make, make their own judgments and become more edu- educated citizens, right? 
Um, and the research is, is, is also very clear. It shows that students' will, success is really based on two primary factors. One is do they f have a sense that they can succeed in college, and the second is uh, do they feel a sense of belonging on their college campuses. And so as a place for civility, it's, it's critically important that we're a learning environment that where students feel safe and welcome and a sense of belonging. On the other hand, we're also a, a, a public space, and in a public space that actually doesn't necessarily value that sense of belonging or a sense that um, we should be concerned about people's uh, potential to be, uh, be offended, um, where, where the idea is that this oftentimes harsh contrast between ideas is welcome. And that as, you know, as a college campus, we want all viewpoints. And so what's happening now, I think, on campuses across the country is that we become these places where, whether it's a, a provocative speaker who's invited to a campus, or whether it's a faculty member, or whether it's a student, um, you know, this is a way of getting attention, of, of driving uh, public debates that, on the one hand, is welcome, but from the perspective of you know, the solution to, to speech that you don't like is always more speech, but really also challenges the, the core academic missions of universities. And I think there's a reason that universities have responded so poorly to some of these free speech issues across the United States is because they're trying sort of to really get through these twin components of their identity. And I think, you know, we can point to all the examples of universities that have done it poorly. Um, but I think, you know, as we think about civility in the, in, the, in the context of a college campus, it's really quite complicated. And I think from the outside perspective, the idea of why do, you, why do you care if a provocateur is invited to campus or they say wildly inappropriate things and why, why is there some backlash to that? Uh, because college campuses have these two different functions. And ultimately, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenging time at, at public universities across the country. Yeah, I was thinking. I was just reading an article before we came in here uh, that was it was an editorial in the New York Times, um, and the writer was talking about how you know it's not only folks on the alt right or uh, racist speakers like Milo Yiannopoulos or Richard Spencer who are getting um, protested at universities. It's there's also a lot of shades of gray, right? Folks who maybe have um, attitudes that, you know, you know, are not in the mainstream liberal space, but aren't necessarily, you know, you would never classify as hate speech either. And those folks are also getting protested by students. And by protested, I mean, they're giving a talk, and they're actually being shouted down and not allowed to speak. And that also makes me uneasy. Um, uh, I certainly, again, want to protect students' right to protest. I think there's a lot of sort of anti-protest legislation that's being discussed that I find really troubling. I don't think that's the answer. Uh, but there's also these gray areas where students are protesting in ways that I think are shutting down the free exchange of ideas. And in that, in that case, the, the more typically conservative critique, you know, about snowflakes or whatever language you want to use is not totally off base either. So it's a really complicated issue. So I and I, I'm on the same page as you that some of these pieces of legislation that are trying to criminalize or or prohibit certain kinds of of, of basic protest activity are, are problematic. But what's uh, what is I guess the solution if you're in a position where and and faculty I guess we're usually responsible for causing these problems, not necessarily solving them. But administrators have to be put in this position where they have to solve these. So what do you think are the better solutions? I guess to simultaneously avoid, you know, having 
absolutely unacceptable um, uh, uh, rhetoric on campus while also getting people to open their ears and minds and and figure out why the speakers are wrong as opposed to just not letting them speak. So I'm kind of an absolutist on the First Amendment, actually. So I don't I don't know that there that there is a line between speech that you, that that should never be welcome on college campuses. I'm I'm not sure I could figure out where that line is of what that speech would be. Um, but I do think the solution is preparing students to be more resilient in the face of speech that that you don't agree with or don't welcome. Um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a graduate from Berkeley. I was really disappointed with how the university handled its response to to Milo and some other speakers on campus. To me, when you have a political provocateur on campus, the the thing that they're after is the attention. And so, I mean, the solution is always to take the air out of the room, right? So, go to the speech, read a newspaper. It's not to violently protest outside the speech. Um, I certainly understand the impetus to do that, right? On the other hand, um, you know, I don't think Milo was there to engage in thoughtful ideas, but also to then ramp that up and give the attention that that is desired, you know, just extends that over college campuses. Some of the concerns I have, frankly, about the, the legislation around the country are things that it require universities to welcome controversial speakers and spend public money to do it. I mean, those, again, when we get in the line of, I certainly think that, you know, we, we should be careful about how we regulate speech on campus, but, you know, there are, there are bills that universities are getting in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to provide extra, extra security for these speakers who aren't there in any way consistent with the academic mission of the university. And so, again, how do we prepare our students to, one, understand better the First Amendment? There's a ton of research showing that students do not understand the First Amendment and that the, that the idea that a violent response to this First Amendment is an appropriate one is, a, is actually a majority viewpoint, according to a, a survey that came out of Harvard University. That, to me, is deeply troubling. On the other hand, um, again, I, I don't necessarily think universities should be forced to foot the bill to bring in speakers that are entirely designed just to provoke the campus into some form of unrest. That's, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Bill Manny, a community engagement editor of the Idaho Statesman. We'll keep talking about this idea of, of civility and, and community and and kind of uh, what our responsibilities in these scenarios are. So stay with us. Popular on the inside, KRBX. And we're back. You're listening to The Big Tent on Radio Boise. I'm Justin Vaughn. I'm here with Corey Cook and Jen Schneider. Um, and also today, Bill Manny from the Idaho Statesman. We've been talking about civility today, and there's probably nobody who's been involved in more conversations about civility in in Idaho in the last several years, a new bill. Um, maybe give uh, our listeners a brief rundown of kind of all the exciting things that have been happening in this sphere over the last couple of years. Um, thanks. Uh, there's a lot. And uh, uh, it's almost, uh, it's it's very encouraging to kind of stop and take stock. And, you know, listening to the conversation before, all the questions we have about about politeness and and civil rights and all the things that all the things that we know society needs and how that works with how that works with uh, civility are all the kind of conversations we've been having. Um, I guess the the uh, quick recap is 2016 during the presidential campaign, uh, Boise City Club was celebrating its 20th anniversary and we were looking around for some way to kind of mark mark the event and also kind of recognize the. Uh, uh, you know, our, our uh, central mission, which was encouraging civil dialogue. And so as we got into this, uh, we put on events, we put on dinners, we put on uh, 
regular monthly forums. We hosted uh, journalists and academics and civic leaders. And probably the best known event uh, that we did was we encouraged the National Institute for Civil Discourse to work with the Idaho legislature to do uh, both a, a workshop for uh, legislative leaders and then for the entire legislature. So in the in the in the start of the 2016 session, all 105 legislators uh, kind of went through this uh, fairly uh, demanding program. And uh, and since then, I have kind of uh, been talking to people like Corey and you, Justin, and others about how we all continue this conversation. And uh, there are lots of things that lots of people are doing. Um, and I guess uh, my goal has been to try to not just talk about talking, which is uh, is really tempting and easy and kind of satisfying, but how do we start getting at some of the some of the things that we've identified that need doing? So I'll tick off tick off a couple of those, and then uh, we can talk some more. But uh, students at Boise State have have kind of on their own started a civility research network where they are. Uh, actually doing the work that all of us talk about doing and I've said in on I said it in one of their conversations and it was incredible they they uh, they had this great diverse group of, of kids who talked about some of the toughest gnarliest things you'd want to talk about and they did it in a respectful civil and yet and yet uh, provocative and engaging way um, dr. Seth Ashley uh, uh, is doing some really important work on media literacy on Boise, at Boise State's campus, and he's ended up getting uh, a, a national media literacy group to come in April for their conference here. Um, we're doing the March 14th event on campus. Uh, we've also uh, kind of been pleasantly surprised by the receptivity on the part of educators uh, K, K through 12, and specifically the Boise School District has been talking and thinking about this, and they are starting a ninth grade class that's going to be called, uh, I think I have, see if I have this right, Criti Critical Literacy, where they're going to deal with, with uh, uh, civics and uh, financial literacy hmm. and news literacy and kind of being a smart citizen and being a discerning citizen and how to separate fact from fiction and what you need to know. So um, Boise City Club has been kind of a participant and also an observer on this. And then kind of uh, coincidental to all this, my job at the Statesman kind of evolved into a civic engagement role. And so I've been doing uh, more of this kind of work just, just through my day job. Um, but you know, I was I was thinking about Jen's point before, and, and a little bit of what Corey was talking about, and I've had this experience just in the last week. I've wrote, I've written a couple fairly tough uh, uh, articles about what's going on in the legislature, and I've had I've had readers accuse me of being uncivil, hmm. and I've also had readers accuse me of going too easy on them and kind of glossing over over what they thought were the real failures of the legislature, and that you know by pointing out where. Um, the Senate, uh, one of the Senate committees had kind of stopped conversation about the about this marijuana oil bill. I had kind of uh, neglected to note all the other times when Idaho legislature silences people. And so I was sort of confused of being an enabler or, a, or an excuser by not doing enough. And so, um, you know, this is really hard, tough stuff, and you're never going to please everybody. And uh, that notion of, of is civility, niceness, or politeness um, 
is something we have to wrestle with all the time. And, and as Richard Newman, the president of City Club, uh, likes to say, and will actually say in the documentary that we hope to premiere at our March 14th event, uh, this is not about being nice. That's kind of where it starts. And if we don't figure out how to kind of agree on ground rules to where we can all have a civil conversation and come out the other side with, with our respect and with uh, a decision, then, then it's all for naught. It's not about being nice. Then what is it being? A, what is it about? I mean, you mentioned some ground rules. Can can you give an example of what well, that so, might look like? Sure. Um, the analogy that I like to use is the courtroom, right? I mean, the we don't care if the judge is a Democrat or a liberal in most cases, or whether he's uh, he or she um, agree with us politically or not. We are going to respect that the rules of the courtroom let us all have a chance to make our best case and then the jury or the judge then gets to decide based on that. If we don't have the rules in the courtroom, uh, our society breaks down. Uh, Richard Newman likes to talk about a football field. If you, if you can't agree to the rules and can't agree to abide by the referee's decision, you're not going to be able to game. You're not going to be able to have a, a football game. And so if we don't somehow agree as a society how we're going to work this stuff out, you know, how do we make decisions? How do we move ahead? Um, then inevitably the question is, well, what happens when, when, uh, when there's people who are disenfranchised or left out of the rules or the rules ignore them or, or make them powerless? And then, and then uh, civil disobedience obviously has to be a, has to be a factor and, uh, and acknowledged as an important part of this conversation. So, Bill, we, next week, um, next Wednesday at this, uh, at this symposium that we're having at Boise State, there's going to be a lunchtime city club session, and we're, we're going to screen this short film that um, you're in the process of making that you're going to finish in the next six days. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> as and, hard as we finish. It's and, just getting a little TLC now. <laughs> and um, it's called uh, Beyond Civility? Correct. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? So that. I'm hoping that we accomplish in this uh, short documentary what uh, what I've kind of summarized before, which is it's really easy to talk about talking, and it's really easy uh, for all of us in City Club and all of us uh, like-minded uh, professionals in this room kind of agree that we're gonna that that we are gonna be able to converse and 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 be kind to each other and and hear each other out. Um, how do we how do we take that to the next level? And so, we talked to some of those uh, in our documentary. We talked to some of the people that I mentioned uh, before. We, we also tell the story of Michelle Chadwick, who is a Jim County commissioner, who uh, whose children were bullied in school while she was a county commissioner because of some of the decisions she made. And so she ended up not running for reelection. And and that's an example of where it had a very real impact on on what happens in our, you know, in our civic life. Um, talk a little bit about the, what the students at Boise State are doing. Talk a little bit about what the uh, Boise School District is doing. Um, and we talked to people like uh, Philip Thompson at the Black History Museum, who's got a really uh, incredible way of bringing in people to conversations, not just about race, but about all kinds of things in a, in a really welcoming and open way, non-threatening. And, and, uh, and I think we're hoping that we plant the seed and, and help continue this conversation. Great. 
Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll continue our conversation. Um, we're going to talk some more about civility and I think a little bit about Hamilton. Because I'm not uh, throwing away my shot. <laughs> <laughs> Justin doesn't get that. I don't get it. He will soon. Wait yep. for it. Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if we haven't lost you yet, stay with us and uh, we'll be right back. Or the radio, or the hi-fi, or just a tingling feeling you get every time we come near. KRBX. All right, and we're back, and we're, uh, I have three people very eager to talk, and I think maybe even rap about Hamilton here. Um, Bill, no, you... Nobody's rapping. <laughs> not, calm down. Not well, at least. Um... <laughs> Bill, you were just at a performance of Hamilton and uh, had some thoughts. Okay, so I guess I'm I'm the one who the guilty party here. Um, I, a friend invited me to go see Hamilton in Seattle, and I was kind of indifferent. I thought it was this kind of a faddish thing that I that I would that I would do. And then I started studying. I'd read the Cherno book. I started studying the play. I listened to the lyrics. I read uh, Lynn. Uh, Manuel Miranda's book on the play and I was just uh, taken away and then when I saw the actual play you see it come alive and it's it's history it's uh, it's it's enfranchising minorities because you have this incredibly diverse cast uh, the, the the character that plays George Washington on on Broadway was a tall African-American bald man and it's just so provocative to see uh, the wealth of America represented in the cast of this play yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that on an intellectual level. And also, the music's fantastic. It's so good. I remember uh, I had the same experience of like, ah, what is this? I'm not that interested. And then a cousin sent me the CD, and my kids popped it in on a road trip. And within a, a week, they had the entire uh, soundtrack memorized, and it's been in our brains for months now. It's just great. It's good stuff. And you don't have you do not have to have a a, a, a deep passion for hip hop music to appreciate appreciate this. Uh, you will, and and I think a lot of the hip hop world really embraces because it does such a good job of of incorporating all these different genres into this uh, play. But you you'll just enjoy it for for the drama and the history and the music and you know nerdy white guy. Um, uh, we, we're we're singing it and, and and dancing around our house, and I know that a lot of people will feel the same way. Of course, it is connected to politics, right? Because there was some uh, some headlines early on in the Trump administration because I think Mike Pence and his wife went to a show, right? And before the show, I believe it was Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh, it was yeah, after yeah, the show, yeah. Lin Manuel Miranda read a statement. Uh, that was about inclusion, essentially diversity and inclusion and in the direction of the country. And that was read by many in, on certain type, sides of the media as being impolite um, and even uncivil. But I, from my perspective, that it seemed like a good example of civil in uh, the, discourse. In, in, uh, in Miranda's book on the play, he mentions that and he talks about how they had tried to do this in a civil nature and that they felt that Mike Pence had welcomed it in the spirit it was intended in the theater. But uh, later that day or that next day, Trump started tweeting about it and kind of turned it into something that they had hoped that it wouldn't be. Hmm. Um, but it, I think it's a, it's a good example of the very conversation we're having. Uh, that you know, you mentioned politics, and I think the other the other political thing about this is just the way it kind of deconstructs uh, American history, and and when and when you as a young uh, 
African-American or Latino or, or other see yourself represented in the story of the founding fathers, it gives you a connection, I, I would hope, and, and I've read this, it would give you a connection to our history and our politics and our, and our kind of creation myth in a way you probably didn't feel before. And that seems to be the most inspiring aspect of this. So do you think, and Jen, um, I mentioned this to you before, uh, your kids are listening to this, they're, they're memorizing the lyrics for this from these fun songs. Do you think it makes them or other kids like them more interested in civics or political history, or is it? Oh, for my kids, absolutely. Like when they got to that, that sort of segment in their history class, talking about the Revolutionary War, they were on point. I mean, they were correcting their teacher about things. My, I had my uh, 10-year-old daughter at the time was trying to read the Cherno book. I mean, that's a huge, <laughs> difficult text. She really tried to work through that. Um, so they were, it really lit in both of them an interest in understanding history more. Um, I don't know about civics as much, but definitely the sort of history and power and those themes. So on that note, one, one of the really incredible things that this, that this guy does, and he's a genius, but he, he, he recreates the debate over uh, uh, helping France after the war and also in creating the, creating the central bank into a rap battle between Jefferson and Hamilton. And it is incredibly compelling. And, it, and it's fun and it's engaging and it, and it brings history to life in a way that you wouldn't have thought possible before. Hmm. That's great. I might have to listen to it. Is it a movie yet? There's no movie yet. Oh, wow. um, I'm glad you were here in the room where it happened. So. <laughs> well, she's satisfied. Uh, she's satisfied. All right. I'm sure there are thousands of listeners right now also laughing. Uh, and, All at you. Uh, at me. At me. And this, at this dopey professor who doesn't know about Hamilton. Um with that, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Bill. It was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing you and seeing your film on Wednesday. Um, Thanks for having me. And for those of you who are interested in knowing more about this event, it's next week, March 14th on Wednesday. Feel free to um, uh, go to the Boise State University website and uh, find more information about it. But uh, until next week, thanks, Jen. Thanks, Corey. And uh, we'll be back soon.